Well, would you turn with me to our text for this morning found in Matthew chapter 25. And if you're uh, watching online, uh, turn with us. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. So I hope you have your Bibles ready or have your Bible app on so you can quickly go to the passages we cover. I was taught in seminary that you preach through books of the Bible uh, that keeps a pastor from picking and choosing what he wants to teach on. If you go through the Bible, you're going to reach some passages that you might otherwise say, well, I don't really like that, or I'd have trouble preaching on that, so you skip it. But as you preach through the Word of God, you find that you cover everything that God said that way. Uh, I was trying to remember when I preached on this passage last, and I can't remember. Uh, I struggle with it over the last couple of, of weeks. Uh, it's a tough passage because it's complex in a lot of ways. But it was the next passage in the series, so we're going to go with it. And uh, ask, do ask God to speak to us this morning as we study His Word. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31. Let's hear God's Word. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these the least, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's bow and pray. Father, we ask that you would lead us this morning. I'm always painfully aware when when I preach that we need to hear your word. Help us this morning to hear what you have to say, Father. And if anything I say differs from, from the design of your word, Father, just uh, <laughs> don't let people remember it. But do speak to our hearts this morning, Father. 
As always, we pray that you would change us by having heard your word, make our lives different, help us by our actions to to give glory and, and praise to you and to the Savior who saved us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you do a search for the uh, sheep and goats on Google, you'll find that what comes up is the parable of the sheep and goats. But is it a parable? Or is it a description of what's going to happen someday? With all the other parables we've studied, he always says the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells a parable. But, But here there's no introduction like that. He simply says, when the king returns, when, Christ, when the Son of Man returns, here's what's going to happen. Now, there's a figure of speech embedded in that a simile where he says, when Christ separates mankind, it's like when a shepherd separates sheep and goats. So there is a figure of speech, but I'm not sure this is a parable. There's no indication overall that the story is meant to be taken any other way than just, this is what he's going to do. But that raises a question for us, because he judges on the basis of whether or not they've shown compassion. Are we saved by works? We have to look at that this morning as we come to the passage, because the Bible affirms over and over that we are saved by faith alone. So what do you do with this? Well, first thing we need to see in the passage is the centrality of compassion in the Christian life. We can't avoid it. That's what we're called to be. Uh, Several passages we need to look at as we come to it. Uh, First is in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Pretty clear, it was saved by faith alone, and that faith is a gift of God. But we often ignore verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved by faith, but we're saved that by faith we may begin to do good works. It's like when faith is first nurtured and born in us, as it matures and grows, it has the face of compassion written all over it. This story, I've I've tried to to make a visual of it in my own mind over the past week, of Jesus sitting on the glorious throne with all of mankind spread out before him. In in Isaiah that we, we mentioned earlier, We saw the angels guard their eyes. They dare not even look upon God because he's so holy. In this passage, Jesus sits on that glorious throne. All of mankind is spread out before him. Now, I looked it up this week, and do you know how many people have lived on this earth? 105 billion throughout history. So picture Jesus on his throne and 105 billion people spread out before him. Now, how many people is that? Well, if you took people and you spread them out three feet apart, all the way to the moon, that would be four billion. So you're talking about 25 rows of people, twice this sanctuary, from here all the way to the moon, 
And that's people spread out before God. And then Jesus turns to that crowd of people and begins separating them. What came to mind was uh, America's Got Talent. Would this group step forward? And and the group is wondering what's going to happen to us. (laughs) Do we go forward? (laughs) Do we go on? But, But this is not going to Hollywood. This is eternal life or eternal death. And Jesus turns to the group on the right, and he, and he says to them, enter into heaven, because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was in prison and you visited me. And, and that group of people began saying, what? And somebody finally raises their hand out of the billions of people and says, Lord, when did we see you hungry? What that tells me is they weren't doing it to earn anything from God. That they weren't doing it because they expected a reward. They simply did it because that was what they were born again to do. Faith had its fruit in their life, and they simply cared for people around them. And, and Jesus can now look at them and say, if you did it to the least of these, my brother, and you did it to me. Now, some have said, because he said the least of these, my brethren, we know it was just Christians they were nice to. But notice when he turns to the left and he says, you guys didn't do this. He he says to the least of these, period. Not just Christians, but you didn't feed the hungry. You didn't take care of the poor. Faith. Once it's planted, it takes on the face of compassion as it grows. I like what Martin Luther said. He said that we're saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Faith always comes joined with a life that bears it out, that lives it out, and it has the face of compassion. In John, uh, John 3, 14 through 17, he writes this. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know we've been born again. How? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Compassion is the outworking of faith. And it's part and parcel of who we are in Christ. James in chapter 2 wrote this. James chapter 2 verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. 
our lives should show evidence. If you picture the crowd standing before Jesus and, and somebody says, wait a minute, you're going you're gonna to let these people in? What evidence do you have that they, have, they belong to you? Well, the evidence is compassion. So the question before us this morning is, do our lives demonstrate the compassion that the passage calls for? Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But put those two together in your mind a minute, that if we have stuff on this earth, and we see a brother in need and withhold from him, it says, does, does love abide in us? And in Christ, who had everything, and laid it aside to die on a cross, if... God is conforming us to the image of Christ, what will it look like? Maybe it looks like people who will have stuff who sacrifice for those who have nothing. So, how does that show up in life? So, we're to have compassion. What does it look like? Well, the three levels I think we can see it on. One is the personal level. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, God told his people to practice something called gleaning, where people would go out and harvest their fields, but when they got their harvest in, he said, leave food out there on the edges of your field so the poor can come in and glean and eat. It was something Israel practiced. We find it in the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth went out to glean in the fields for her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law was a, a widow and had no money, no income, so Ruth went out to glean in the fields for her. Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David. Here's a lady, poor, gleaning the fields, who later became the grand, great-grandmother of King David. For trivia quiz, do you know who Ruth's mother-in-law was? Naomi. I thought Chad would know that. (laughs) So, in a sense, that's compassion from a distance. Your workers go out in the field, they leave something. Uh, I'm trying to think of an application for that in today's world. and uh, Maybe leaving a tip is is one way. Where we, 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 we get what we need, we harvest, but we leave something extra for somebody who's working who may need it but the idea of, of, uh, of giving to the poor. Sometimes it's up close and personal. Sometimes it's face-to-face. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 14, verses 12 and 13, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Because if you do, they might invite you back, he said, and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So when you, when you do works and you want to involve somebody and celebrate with them, 
Why not invite somebody who has nothing, who can't pay you back, and share your bounty with, with them? That's compassion face-to-face, isn't it? Compassion begins with a family. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that's pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So benevolence begins with our own families. That's part of the context of, of this whole, whole, whole passage. We're to show compassion from what we earn in life, from our diligence. When I was in college, I had an 8 o'clock class that I used to like to sleep through. And when I'd come in on a occasion, my professor would look at me and he would say, I know you can cram for tests and pass them, but that doesn't reflect your knowledge. Because you, when you cram for a test, you forget it the next day. But he would confront me with Proverbs. He would say, have you read Proverbs 6 lately? Go to the ant, old sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, old sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I'd come to class and look at me and say, a little slumber, a little sleep. (laughs) You can't argue with God's word, can you? But that's the wisdom of the Old Testament, that we're to work hard. And as we work, we profit from it. And one of the values of profiting by our work is having the ability to help others. We live in a culture that, in a sense, has, has twisted that somewhat. And it said, the purpose of my work is to grow rich. Well, we do. We have an inheritance that Proverbs talks about. But he says over and over, out of your abundance, make sure that you're also giving something to other people. Remember the parable of the rich man whose whose farm did great. He, he, He had more income than he knew what to do with. So what did he do? He built bigger barns. And God said, fool, tonight your life is required of you. The, the idea was, if God blesses you with a huge abundance, how will you bless other people with what God has given you? One of the debates in the, uh, the church has been along the political lines. Does the church believe in socialism? Let me emphatically say no. In uh, the book of Acts, some people have said that that, that supports, uh, or that was the church's early uh, example of, of, uh, of socialism. It says, and let's see me find my verse here. Acts chapter 4. There it is, Acts 4.32. There was a famine in Jerusalem. And everybody that had 
property and extra houses, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. People say, well, that, that's socialism. But, but notice what it says. Everybody who had something for himself, his own, he, they owned it. But in compassion, they sold some of it to give to the poor. The Bible affirms personal ownership. It affirms hard work. It affirms that we profit from our labor and its motivation to go back out and work more. But like we said, the motivation to work hard and profit is to have extra to give away. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that uh, the ones in the church who had been thieves should now work with their hands and have money to give away. Compassion. It's a mark of the Christian life. How, how do you put it into practice? It varies from every individual. Back uh, about a year ago, uh, my wife found out about the Farmers to Family Food Program the government had through the Mercy Chefs. And she began looking around for a, a, a group in the county that was distributing food and ran across a pastor up in Cocoa Beach, or in Cocoa, uh, Pastor Addison Mitchell, pastor of Parker Memorial Baptist Church. And he had been working with an a organization called VOAD, who was sending him food to distribute each week, but a lot of times the food was coming rotten. I remember we were there one day, and they brought a load of sweet potatoes to give out. And the whole load was rotten. We had to call a truck and send it back. And so Lynn found out about Farmers to Family and began working with a produce uh, down in uh, south of Tampa. Before we knew it, it arranged for 1,400 boxes of food to be delivered to the county to give to the poor. It's out of the flock church up in Cocoa. And then there were eight more shipments, 15,000 boxes of food. Who would have thought? It was something that kind of came our way, came her way, that she acted on. I can't do something like that. How is God leading you to care for the poor? Maybe something as simple as leaving a bigger tip. Maybe taking meals to somebody who's ill. Maybe a part of being in meal train here in the church where you provide for somebody who's sick, who doesn't have time to cook. But on a personal level, we are called to show compassion. We're also called on a church level to do the same thing. Look in the book of Acts, <clears throat> chapter 6, <clears throat> begin reading in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greek, Greek Christians, rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's the birth of the office of deacon in the Bible. The uh, disciples were saying, we can't quit preaching the Word to take care of the widows. 
So pick some men among you that we can trust, full of the Spirit, who can take on that ministry. On a church level, you can't support every widow in the church, everybody who has needs. But sometimes together we can do that as a body of believers. And so we look at that. It's interesting, the the careful restrictions that Paul put on that. He said, the only widows who can be put on the list, they have to be above 60. He said, if they're running around from house to house being gossips and busybodies, don't put them on the list. Let them get a job. He's, the Bible teaches responsible compassion. A lot of times we think of, of, of Christian love and it's like this mushy feel a good thing, but that's not what the Bible talks about. Love holds people accountable. Love looks for responsibility. Love encourages people to work hard at times, to live lives before God that are pleasing to God. Love engages with people. When I was in Sevierville, Tennessee years ago, uh, planning a church, we had a benevolence committee, and the, the, the thought there was, if anybody comes to the church with a need, we meet it. And they were giving out a ton of money, just constantly. Until we realized that there were people breaking down on the interstate in the Smoky Mountains, coming to campgrounds and staying for a week, and coming to churches saying, would you pay my campground fee because my car broke down? We realized we were paying for people's vacations in the Smoky Mountains. One time we went to the electric company to pay someone's electric bill, and the person at the electric company started laughing and said, you know, There are five adults in that house. None of them work. And every month, a different church comes in and pays their electric bill for them. So we had to think twice about how we were doing benevolence. Because compassion encourages responsibility, right? We had a man, Bob Manderscheid, who had just moved into the community, who had a lot of wisdom. He had started with nothing and had, had become a, a multimillionaire with properties he'd bought and sold in Florida. Bob would take all of our phone calls from benevolence and he would meet with somebody and he would find out what their need was. He would find out what potential they had and he would find a way to help them become self-sufficient. Ways for them to become productive in their own life. It took time He couldn't just write a check and hand it to them. He had to spend time with them. I can't help but think that's a model that needs to be true of our communities nowadays, as well as in the church, that we engage with people. And as the old saying goes, not just give them a fish to sustain them, but teach them how to fish. It means we have to love people in a way that often goes beyond just mechanically doing something and saying goodbye. It's a tough call. So for compassion, we have personal level, church level, community level. It should be easy, shouldn't it? God's called you to be compassionate, feed the hungry. Do it. But there's some obstacles we run into. The biggest obstacle, I think, that Jesus points to is greed, isn't it? He said, sometimes we build bigger barns for what we have instead of taking care of the people around us that that need it. Sometimes, 
He says we have the world's goods and we withhold it in the face of a brother's need because we want more and more and more and more. So where's the balance? When do we have enough? Greed says you never have enough. Compassion says there's a balance somewhere in there. And I don't think anybody can make that call for us. It's an individual call we each make on our own before God. But it's a call we must make. As we stand before God and he begins separating people, we don't stand there and hold our breath saying, I wonder which group I'm in. (laughs) Because John wrote, by this our hearts shall assure us. If we have love for our brothers and sisters, if we've shown compassion, if we've fed the hungry, our heart is assured before God that we belong to him, that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and we know which group we're in. We know we're heaven-bound. Like I said, you can apply this passage in so many ways, so many different levels. Apply it personally, apply it politically. But the question is, how would God have you apply it this morning? Let's pray. Father, at times I'm, as I stand before the need around me, that the homeless here in this county is staggering. A lot of it's due to drug use. Some of it's due to mental illness. But some of it's due to people just not having work. Father, how do we as a church, how do we as a community address those needs? Lord, sometimes we disagree with the solutions other people offer. But Father, as we, as we discount solutions, help us not to discount the need. But find a biblical way to meet those needs. Help us to stand before you and simply say, God, what would you have me to do? You may open up some amazing door. You may call us just to cook a meal for somebody. But Father, help our faith to grow to the point that we begin to be more like Jesus and sacrifice our lives on behalf of others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.